Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. Well, I am so thrilled to uh, be here today and to be speaking to you. I, I never lose the thrill of getting to share God's word. And the biggest thrill is always when I get to share it right here uh, in Cornerstone, my home church. And I want to tell you, thank you to all of you. All of you must be pretty good swimmers that you made it this morning. <laughs> it's it's pretty, uh, pretty wet out there. I was uh, saying to one of my friends, we were talking before service, I said, this is one of those mornings when lots of people get up and get ready for church and then decide to just stay home because it's so wet out there. Uh, but I'm so, so glad that you're here today. Pastor Jacob, when he asked me uh, to speak today, he gave me the title and he gave me the the psalm that we were going to preach from, and uh, it's Psalm 84, and the title is Better Than Bitcoin. Okay, so I'm not one of those people who know all that kind of stuff, and I'm like, Bitcoin? And I've heard that. I'm going to have to do some research because to me it just sounds like a, it sounds like play money, really. It sounds like something a little kid would uh, play with. But, you know, I did know that it was cryptocurrency, but like what even does that mean? So I had to look it up to really find out why would we call this better than Bitcoin. And I want to read to you. These are straight from journals, um, uh, financial journals that I found online. And this is what I, I found out about Bitcoin. Investors are more interested than ever in cryptocurrency. Criminals are too. Reports of cryptocurrency crimes have increased 312% a year on average since 2016. These crimes include everything from hackers stealing investors' coins to people uh, falling for scams. Okay, now, let me just tell you, if you do Bitcoins, if you do that, your money is safe from me. I don't even know what they look like. So if I, if I came hunting for your Bitcoin that's worth a lot of money, um, I would never do that. You may want to hide your paper money pretty well, though, because I do know what that looks like, okay? The money you put into Bitcoin is not safe from value fluctuations. Bitcoin is a volatile investment. If you're looking for a safe investment with guaranteed returns, then don't invest in Bitcoin or any cryptocurrencies for that matter. Just over the past few months, the price of one Bitcoin has fluctuated between $30,000 and $60,000, which means if you thought it was really valuable and you believe that this was the thing to invest in for the future, you could buy it for, you could buy one coin for $60,000 one day, and in just a day or two, it could be worth only $30,000. That doesn't sound too smart to me. Understand that these are very volatile investments. So if big fluctuations cause you to lose sleep, this isn't the space for you. Well, that would cause me to lose sleep. So it's not the space for me, for me. But that's not the kind of investment that most of us lose sleep over, right? We've all made bad investments. Everybody made a bad investment here that's not financial, perhaps, but you made a bad investment as far as a career or a job change, or you bought a house that didn't work out well, or you had a relationship, you invested everything in and it didn't work out. All of us have had some kind of bad investment that has bottomed out for us. It's been hard. Bad investments are really, really difficult to take. 
But there is an investment, Psalm 84 talks about it, that will never give us a bad return. It's investing in our relationship with God. It will never give us a bad return, and Psalm 84 is all about it. Now, if you look it up, I'm reading. I don't have my Bible up here uh, with me this morning because it's too much up here, and I'm likely to knock things off. Uh, But I have the words from the Bible printed exactly on my paper, so I really am using the Bible. You can follow along on the screen and see that I am. Or you can uh, follow along in your device if you do. The translation that we're using is uh, New Living Testament. When you, when you look it up in there, probably there will be a title, uh, a little title paragraph before the psalm actually starts. And it will tell you this was not written by David. It was uh, written by uh, people who worked in the temple, psalmists that worked in the temple. And it's called a, a song of ascents or a song of ascents. And uh, what it means, it's a song that they would sing together when they were going up to Jerusalem when they were going up to the main temple where it would be to see God. It was a traveling song. Do any of you have any traveling songs that you ever sing when you're traveling? Um, my husband did. My, my husband loved oldies, and he loved to blare them very, very loud. Our kids uh, still have favorite memories of riding with him and his firebird when that thing was just shaking down the road really loud and, and singing those songs. Those were his traveling songs. And I'm going to have to tell you the truth. The only traveling song I ever sang was uh, on the bus on the way to camp. And the song that we sang was 99 bottles of beer on the wall. You know? <laughs> that was the traveling song. Probably not a good traveling song to sing, but it, it was great for us then. These songs were different, and they were songs about anticipation of getting to the temple, getting to Jerusalem, to God's house. And Mary and Joseph very likely sang uh, one of these songs. There's a group of them. Very likely sang one of these songs when they took uh, Jesus, baby Jesus, to the temple to be dedicated. They were actually close at that time or when they made the much longer trip uh, to go there when he uh, went when he was 12 years old. It tells about the security of investing in our relationship with God. The very first thing that we read in Psalm 84 is, and you'll understand it more in a moment, is that when we invest in our relationship with God, we get a secure place. Verses 1 and 4 of Psalm 84 say this. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. What joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. Now, what they were talking about there was that the temple, uh, before Jesus died on the cross for us and changed everything, the temple was the focus of where God was on this planet. Uh, It housed the Ark of the Covenant. It was... um, the, sim- the symbolic place of the tabernacle that the uh, people had had in the Old Testament as they traveled through the wilderness. It was the symbolic place of the presence of God. And actually, you, if you read the story of the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus, you remember that the, the curtain that separated the, the most holy place where the presence of God uh, really dwelled, it was split in half at the moment that Jesus died, and it was symbolic. It was telling us that now everybody uh, could be part of the temple. Everyone could come in and have access to God. But back in these days, they didn't have that. And so getting to go to the temple, getting to go to the place where God's presence was, was an amazing thing for them, and they didn't get to do it very often. Unless they lived in the city of Jerusalem, most of them only got to do it once a year because it was a, a costly and long trip. And if you 
lived way out, it might be a trip you would make once in a lifetime if you were very fortunate to get to that place. So when they're singing, what joy for those who can live in in that house, live in your house, God. They're talking about how awesome it must be to be in a place, to be actually right there where the presence of God was. They were on the fringes. And that's why they sang, because this is such great stuff to be there. They couldn't wait to get there and to experience the joy and all of that, knowing that they were where God was. Now, it's different for us. Isn't that wonderful? It's different for us. We don't have to go to a specific place to experience God anymore. It's all different because of Jesus. This is the way he described it. He was talking about um, how his spirit was with people. And he said, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Do you understand that? When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you accept what he did on the cross for you and you invite him into your life to be your Lord and you accept his sacrifice for you, in that moment, God himself comes to live in you. You don't have to go to a special place to experience him. You don't have to do that because you are, in a very real way, you are the house of the Lord. He lives in you. His Father lives in you. His Holy Spirit lives in you. That is why if you actually know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you actually have made a commitment to him, you should not have come to church here this morning looking for God and hoping you would find him here. You should have brought him with you, helping other people find him here. That's the way the deal works because you are his. You are, he lives in you. You are part of his temple, but it's not a private deal. It's not private. It's not just you. You're not, Jesus sees you as incredibly unique and special and wonderful, but you're not the only one who has this relationship, and you're not supposed to have it privately. Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? It takes for us to really have the full experience of what God wants for us. It takes us to work together and together be his house, together be his kingdom. As Pastor Jacob preached a couple months ago very powerfully, he told us we are part of bringing his upside-down kingdom to this world with who we are and how we live and how we love. That's the way it's supposed to be. So he says, don't you realize that all of you together are his temple?" In other places in the New Testament, very beautifully tells us that you and I, each one, are stones in his temple. Together, we build something we can't do alone. Now, I'm not telling you that you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. You do. You have a personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus lives in you. But you are not intended to have a private relationship with Jesus. That's not the way it's supposed to work. And he wants us to work together to be a witness to the world, he says that we, when he calls us the light of the world, we talked about that last week, when he calls us the light of the world, he said you are like a city set on a hill. Well, a city has lots of houses in it, right? city has lots of houses. There are a lot of windows that the light shines out. And that's how we're supposed to be together. We're supposed to be doing things together that none of us can do alone. We experienced that in a unique way this week. Now, we just experienced this this morning. I sing Great is Thy Faithfulness to myself a lot. I love it. I love that song. It's one of my testimony songs from my whole life. 
And I, I sing it, and God blesses me, and it's wonderful. But I experienced something different this morning when Barb and the worship team led us in it together. I experienced something different. There's something powerful and something wonderful when all the stones get together and, uh, and we, we build something. There's a sense of community here that's different. And it's not just when we're in this place. It's around the world. It's different things just between services. I got a, a note from a friend of mine who has a very sick grandson, and she asked me, she said, could you please post this on your Facebook page so that lots of people would pray? What is she calling? She's calling for the stones to get together and do something great that they can only do together. And that's a wonderful thing. That's what we're supposed to do. This week, we experienced it in two powerful ways in the, the part of the temple uh, that the stones are called Cornerstone. And that is with two marvelous men who experienced the power of God through his community. One of them is Robbie, Robbie Trimble, who just led us in worship here. Um, wonderful, wonderful man, knows Jesus, loves him with all of his heart. He had something happen that nobody wants to happen. He was actually practicing for a song he was singing today almost two weeks ago now. And when he was practicing singing, he felt something pop, his, pop in his head, and he immediately had anguishing pain and a terrible headache and a lot of nausea, and it wouldn't go away. It was there for several days. Nothing he did for it would help it, and so he had to go to the emergency room. When he was there, they admitted him quickly. They uh, checked on things. They found out that he had two aneurysms, one three centimeters, one uh, seven centimeters, and uh, blood traces in his spinal fluid already. Pretty scary, right? Pretty scary. He uh, immediately, I did, Jacob did, Rachel did, lots of people on our staff put out prayer requests for him, and his family did. Immediately, there were hundreds and hundreds of people, probably thousands of people praying as people shared it. Uh, we're praying for Robbie. Pastor Jacob and I went to the hospital to see him, and we, we had a wonderful, wonderful talk as we were there together. And Robbie, with tears, explained to us his family was there, and, and he explained to us what they were about to do. They were going to see if there was any way they could just, um, they could wrap those things in some kind of way, I don't understand, but make them so uh, he would be secure and safe without doing actual brain surgery. They were hoping for that, but they were... Uh, preparing him, preparing the situation for brain surgery, and he was preparing his heart for it. And, uh, you know, here he is. He's a young man, vital, uh, doing really wonderful things. And, of course, it would be preferable to not have that happen, right? It would be definitely preferable preferable. As we talked with him and prayed with him, he wept. His family wept. You know, we all, we all were concerned. But as we prayed, it was the most wonderful thing. Robbie said, man, I can feel all the prayers of God's people. And yeah, there's a little bit of nerves here because it's a situation I've never been in before. But I am so confident. I am so at peace. I know God will do what is best for me. I didn't think I would be at this stage of my life, you know, thinking about my funeral or if I leave this life or if something happens. I didn't think I would be there, but I am, and God is with me. I can feel the prayers of his people. Totally right. Right, Robbie? Totally right. And you know what happened? When they went to do the final test to take him for surgery, the aneurysms were gone. They were just gone. Isn't that something? They were just gone. What a mighty thing. And it's a privilege to be part of that. We were stones together, building a, a sense of community. But the most marvelous thing is not that Robbie got 
that miracle. The most marvelous thing is the miracle before that, that he was okay with whatever happened. He was, he was going to serve Jesus. He was going to be okay one way or the other. So another wonderful man, equally wonderful with Robbie, Ron Roundtree. Ron has been my friend for uh, more than 40 years. He was one of my husband's close, close friends. And um, he was here doing what he did. He always um, did. He, he was the leader for our services in recent years at um, St. Edwards and Pebble Creek. He, he went there and spoke on Sunday mornings and uh, led the people there. Uh, did, a, did a really incredible job. But he was here on uh, Mother's Day, which I think was May 8th, something around there. He was here on Mother's Day. Next day, he was feeling good, too, you know, just doing good, no problems in his life, went to the doctor regularly, all that. Um, and when he woke up on Tuesday morning, um, he had not slept well that night. He had been in tremendous pain in his side, and he told his wife, he said, my pain is not going away. I, I probably think I should go to the emergency room, make sure I'm not having appendicitis or whatever. So they went to the emergency room. He was in the emergency room for eight hours, and that whole time they weren't having him set there. They were working on him, running tests and doing different things. And at the end of that time period, they came to Ron and Cheryl, and the doctor said, you know, this is not my place to, to tell you a full detailed kind of thing. You're going to need to check with an oncologist right away. But I want to tell you that it's very clear to me that you have aggressive stage 4 cancer. Looks like that you have a large tumor on your right kidney, and you've got it in your lungs. I, I believe you have it in several places. What a shock, right? What a shock. In a couple of days, he had surgery to move his right kidney. But then um, they did find out that it was all through his body. Lots of things were going on. So that was just the middle of May. And here we are, the middle of July. And tomorrow, we will be celebrating his life in a memorial service. But let me tell you about all the prayers that went out for him. Let me tell you about everything in that situation. It was just like Robbie's. It was just like Robbie's. There were tears. There, were some, there was some shock at needing to adjust life. But I was with Rob, Ron many times during these days. So was Pastor Jacob and his family was there. And his testimony was so powerful and so good. Of course he got very weak. Of course he got to the place where he couldn't talk very well. But all the way along, he would say these things. Oh, man, I can feel the prayers of God's people. I, I can feel the prayers of God's people. Wow. He said, I know I'm ready to go. I'm not afraid. I can do this thing. There's nothing better than that secure place. Absolutely nothing better than that. Answers were different. One went to heaven. One lived to serve more days. But they both had the same secure place. The same secure place. They had a relationship with God that made them know they were his, and they had a relationship with his people. They knew that it was not private. They were stones in a temple, and they could ask for prayer. They could ask for the kind of love and support that they did, and they would get it. That's what happened. You know what it is? It's like a call-ahead restaurant. It's like when you have reservations. You show up there. If you just show up there, there may be 100 people in line, and you may never get what you want to eat. But if you has a, have a reservation, you're at the head of the line, and you get right in. I'm telling you, friends, 
You need to invest in your relationship with God today for that secure space, and you need to make sure that you're investing in it with a group of people who will love you and help you in his name at the right time. Okay, so that's the first thing. We have a secure place when we invest in our relationship with God. Second thing, when we invest in our relationship with God, we have secure strength. We're stronger than we ever thought we could be because of it. Listen again to the psalmist. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their mind their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. It means that they are set on seeing God. They're set on seeing God. They're absolutely determined. Now, let, let me tell you about myself. When I was young, I always had this desire. I loved to read. I loved adventure books. I loved to read stories of around the world. I loved that. I, you know, look at pictures of everything, like to watch things about it. And I had this thing. I thought I wanted to travel the world. I thought I wanted to go all around the world on a big trip and have this big adventure and, and come home and have seen everything. I wanted that. Never happened. It never happened. I never did that. But uh, in 2020, my friend Bev Neuenschwander and I did do something that uh, we had both wanted since we were uh, young. We both wanted to go to uh, Israel. We wanted to get to do that trip. And so we did it. And as a bonus, we got thrown in. We got to go to Greece, too. And it was just amazing. It was absolutely wonderful. When we were in Greece... uh, I think it was the next to the last day that we were there. We were walking down this uh, big hill in uh, the city of Corinth. We were walking down this hill, and we were with a small group. And this young man came hustling up to us. He was in shorts, nice-looking, strong young guy. He had a big backpack on. And he said, hey, you guys mind if I walk with you? And we are like, no. And I loved it because we got to talk. And I said, what are you doing here? How long have you been here? How, how long are you going to be in Greece? And he said, oh, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I thought that was kind of interesting. And um, I said, well, you know, what do you mean by that? Do you, do you have to be back home at a certain time or what's going on? And he said, oh, no. He said, I've taken a year off and I'm traveling the world. I was immediately fascinated. I was like, wow, you've taken a year to travel the world? How did you do that? And in my mind, I'm thinking, rich boy, rich boy. You know, that's what he's got going on here. And that was certainly not true. He was not a rich boy. He had parents that he loved very much. He was staying in regular contact with them uh, through his phone, but they did not finance his trip. He financed it himself. And he did it. He said, I couldn't even tell you except since I've been here when the last time was when I ate a meal out because I was saving my money. I knew I was going to do this. And, and I said, it didn't bother you, you know, leave friends. You don't have a family or anything besides your parents. And he said, no, I haven't been on a date. And I couldn't even tell you when, because he said, I didn't want to get a relationship going that I didn't want to leave. I knew that if I got myself too involved with a girl, I wasn't going to go on this trip, and it was too important to me. And I said, okay, so did you, save, did you honestly save enough money to be gone for a year to do all of this, to pay your hostel or your uh, hotel bills or to do all this? And he laughed, and he said, no. He said, I have, a, I have a little tiny, like, tarp kind of thing back here in the back. I've slept outside more nights than I can tell you, slept without shelter sometimes. But I, every place I go, I get a job. I get a job, and that's why I don't know. I'll leave Greece whenever I've made enough money to go to the next place. What was the difference between him and me? A whole lot, right? A whole lot. But the most basic thing was he was really determined he was going to do this, and I just kind of wanted to do it. 
I just kind of wanted to do it. It's the same way for us. The only way they said, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and that means they've set their minds on seeing God. They want to know him. They want to be in his presence, and they were absolutely determined. The only way you and I will make this journey, the only way that we will live a life that causes us to see God in our daily life and causes us to see him at the end of our journey, the only way we will make it is to have that kind of determination and sacrifice, the kind they had, the kind my friend in Greece did. We feel, just tell yourself the truth on this one, you and I feel justified to quit our journey over the smallest of disappointments. If we don't get that job, we're just kind of mad at God. And we think, well, I, I just... Guess I'll do my own thing. He's not looking after me. I guess I'll just do that. We don't like something that, you know, the church does, or we don't like something in society or whatever. Any little thing gets us upset. And you know a really big thing? People who prayed for Robbie, if he wouldn't have had the results he had, there would have been some of those who just decided that God doesn't hear and answer prayer. And they'd be done with it. I hear it all the time. Yeah, my aunt, she doesn't go to church anymore because her husband died. And, and she's mad at God. She said, God doesn't hear prayers. If that's the kind of God he is, I'm like, oh, my gosh, get over yourself. All of us have to leave this planet sometime, somehow. We all live in a broken world. Everybody's not going to get well every time. It's not going to happen. We will quit over the smallest of disappointments, and then when it comes to something like a prayer that we really wanted answered in a specific way, we'll just go nuts over it. Do you know for you to quit on your journey with God because he didn't do something you wanted him to do in the way you wanted him to do it, that is so stupid and foolish. It is just like if you got a free trip to Disney World got a free trip there and you spilled your coke or scraped your knee within five minutes of getting in there and you left to never come back again wouldn't that be stupid of course it would it is far more ridiculous for you to give up on your journey with God because you've been disappointed on every journey there are mountains and valleys and there are curves in the road it's true for everyone and it was true for them listen this is the verse uh, six there when they walk through the valley of weeping It will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. On the way to Jerusalem, there was a really big valley that you had to cross to get into Jerusalem. And it was a deep valley with, you know, mountains on the sides, all of that. It, It was deep. And it was a place that was hard to travel. But they say here, when they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. That's what God will do for you. If you have this secure space, if you have this relationship with God where God lives in you, you know Jesus Christ and you are his home. He lives in you. And you are together with people who are also living for him. And together you are building a temple for his glory and and for your space. If you have that space, if you invest in your relationship with God for secure strength, you will go through those valleys that everybody else faces and they drop out of the game. They get discouraged with people. They get discouraged with God and they drop out of the journey. You will not 
Because when you're in the valley of weeping, when you're in hard times, you will recognize the incredible, special strength of God, the secure strength that he is giving you in those times, and you will amaze yourself at how God will help you. You will find that in that valley, you will have wonderful fruit. Fruit will grow in the valley. It says this, they will continue to grow stronger and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. You know what that means? That means if you focus on investing, investing in your relationship with God, your strength will be so strong that nothing will deter you. You will see God in your everyday life. When other people are saying, where is God? Where is God? You're like, wow, I see him everywhere. When, when other people are worried about the end of their journey, you know that you're going to see God face to face. Let me tell you about Ron again. As I said, I was with him many times. And um, he, said, he, he said to me, and, and of course towards the end he got weak where he, his voice was mostly a whisper. And um, he, did, he wasn't able to talk a lot. But when I, the last time that I was uh, with him, uh, before he left us, he, he left the ne- next day. The last time that I was with him, he, um, we were talking, and I said, how are you doing, Ron? And he said, I'm good. I'm good. You know what, Brenda? He said, God is so close to me. I feel the prayers of these people, and God is so close to me. In a strange way, these have been some of the best days of my life. He said, God has witnessed to me that my life has mattered, and I know I'm going to see him face to face, and it's, it's really been good. He said, y'all take care of Cheryl. Don't worry about me. I'm good. God's got me. Don't worry about me. And I leaned over, and I kissed him on the forehead, and I said, but, buddy, I love you so much. And then some of you will um, understand this really well because you've been around long enough you knew all of these guys, but Ron, Ron for four years was one of my husband's closest friends, and there were a circle of guys that played golf together and did crazy things together. He, um, Ron was one of those, Doug Fanoni was one of those, um, Frank Borelli, um, there, there was a group of them, and uh, Doug, Doug Fanoni died shortly after Charlie did. He had lung issues, and um, a lung transplant failed on him, and and um, so he went to be with the Lord too, just a couple months after Charlie died. So um, the way these guys showed love to each other is the way a lot of you guys do. They teased each other mercilessly. That was the way they said, I, I love you. And Doug was the one who got the brunt of a lot of it, and he really deserved it. If you knew Doug, you, you knew that. He was a jokester, and he deserved everything that he got. But uh, so, you know... He, both of his friends were there in heaven already. But I leaned over and I kissed him again on the, on the head and I said, look, Ron, I said, I hope I see you before you leave here. I'm planning on it. But if I don't see you again, I'm going to see you over there and you make sure that you and Charlie both meet me. And now this guy, hours away from death, says in his Weak little voice, he says to me, I will, Brenda, but I don't think we'll bring Doug with us. <laughs> now, who can leave this life with that kind of serenity and that kind of joy? 
Only someone who has their serene strength in the Lord, their secure strength in the Lord. He had that. He was having the time of his life as he was leaving this life. That's what God will do for us. It means that God will be present in our hardest of times. When you invest in your relationship with God, when you refuse to drop out, you will reach your destination. You will see God. You will. You'll be just like them. You will see God. You will see him here. And you will see him there. You will. The bottom will never fall out on this investment. It never will. So Paul tells us, he he says this in Galatians 6, 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So here's what I want to tell you. Today, wherever you are, if you've known Jesus for a long time and you've gotten weary, if you have never made that full commitment to, to Jesus before, I want to tell you, make a new commitment today. You see, what our responsibility is, is obedience. It's our responsibility. Our, the outcome is God's. We don't know what he's going to do with our obedience. We just know it's going to be great. Because if we invest in our relationship with him, the bottom will never fall out. He's an investment guru. He's not only the one who knows the investments we should make, but he multiplies our investments end on end on end. Don't ever get tired of doing good. Okay, we have a secure place, we have a secure strength, and then last, we have, when we invest in our relationship with God, we have a secure supply source. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I I would love it if we had secure supply sources around here. We don't. There's shortages in everything, something you really need. It's a shortage, got all that. But... But we have a secure supply source that will never run out when we invest in our relationship with God. Now, and the first most important part of this is that God helps us have an accurate assessment of what is valuable and what is good and what is not. Because we don't have the brain power, we don't have the intelligence to know what's really good. We're like the prospectors in the early days of our nation who got fooled by fool's gold. And, you know, they would give up everything they had that was secure to get this that was not secure. We're like the the poor Native Americans who were taken advantage of by the uh, early explorers. And they, they gave away their land, sold their land for trinkets that were worth pennies. We do that. We do the same thing. You know what lots of people do when they're young? They spend all time, kinds of time with people who are not really their friends. They think they are. They hope they are. They spend time with people who are not their friends, who don't want anything good for them, who lead them down wrong paths and do all of that and completely cut their family off, the people that they'll need for the rest of their lives, the people who really are their source of supply. And then we do that as well. As we're older, we often make investments in things and people that will never meet our true needs. We're like the prodigal son, that story of the boy in the Bible. He left his home. He left his father who was the source of his sure supply and he went out looking for thinking he can do it better and he lost it all. He came back home fortunately and the father, the father took him back. Now this psalmist here, he, he wrote this song from a new perspective. Listen to what he said. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live, in a good, get, live a good life in the homes of the wicked. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. Do you know what he's saying here when he says, I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God? Hold on to your seats. 
He's saying, I'd rather be Joe Kruger. <laughs> I would rather be Bob Tarbett. I would rather be Stacy Sally. I would rather be any of the people who stand back here and greet and welcome people into God's house. I would rather be that my lifetime, that be everything of my life, than to spend a good life in the homes of people who don't know God. That's what he's saying. He's saying it's a better life than that. To stand on the edges and welcome people into the family of God. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. We had a guy here uh, years back. He's the father of my sister-in-law, Kathy Mason, and his name was John Weeks. He's been in heaven for quite a few years now. But, but John, um, he had a pretty broken life up until he moved back from Florida, um, and he, he was a single guy. He moved back from Florida, moved into the area, and Jay and Kathy invited him to Cornerstone Church, and he got saved because of our ball team. He played ball, and from the friendships he made on that team, um, they were gatekeepers. They were inviting him into the family of God. He became a Christian, a Jesus follower, because of that experience. And when he did, he wanted to serve in Cornerstone, and the place he started serving was a gatekeeper in the house of my God. He was an usher, and he would welcome people in, and he loved it so much. It was so great. He, he loved getting the offering baskets together. He loved doing everything with it and welcoming people and, and letting them know this was a great church, and you got to come back again. And, and he, he was just marvelous. And he would say to me so many times, we were real good friends, and he would say to me over and over and over again, Brenda, I can't believe it. Every Sunday that I'm here, I just love it more than anything I ever did when I was running around. It's more exciting. It's more adventure. He'd rather be a gatekeeper. Actually, that was the verse that we used at his, his funeral for him. And, and why would you rather do that than have everything else that looks so good and big and flashy? Well, because you and I don't have the first idea of what's really good. We trust our own thoughts and wisdom. We think we know what's good. That's why we lose our money on stupid things. That's why we, we choose a, a, a job that takes us down a wrong path. It's why we, use, we choose relationships and, and we make all kinds of choices that take us to a wrong place. But here's the deal. God knows what is best for us. God knows what is really good for you and what's really not. He knows what's really good for you. He's the only one who does. He wants what's really good for you, what's best for you. You know, a lot of us will have people in our life who know what's good for us, but they don't want us to have it because they're jealous. They, they don't want it for us for some reason. Well, God knows what's best for you, and he wants what's best for you. And here's the kicker that makes it all so awesome. He has the power to do that for you. He has the power to give you what is right. So you want to invest in him. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. God knows what is best, what is best for you. If it is good for you, if it is the best choice for you, if it will truly bless your life, God will make sure that you'll get it. You don't need to worry about that. You just have to trust that he sees the end of things. I will never forget something that was a transformational moment for me uh, in these years of my life uh, happened the night my husband died. Uh, when, he, when he died, and it was totally unexpected, um, you know, it was, uh, there was nothing wrong with him that should have uh, caused him to die, but he was going to have surgery. Uh, we were going to be going to Cleveland Clinic on Tuesday. He died on Sunday. We were going to be going there on Tuesday to relieve pressure in his neck from um, falls that he had from a knee that needed replaced. And so, anyways, it was a big shock that he died. 
and we were that evening in uh, our house, our home, and the whole family, my, my uh, brothers and their wives and, and nieces and nephews, and our whole family was there, and it was late, and, and we were all weeping and crying. And at that moment, I saw Jacob, who is our pastor now, I saw him step into a place of leadership into our family, which blessed me so much. It helped me so much. It was a word from God. He was weeping himself, but he said, listen, guys, he said, I feel like I need to say something. He said, we are so focused on what we thought was going to happen and what we thought would be good for us and what we thought would be good for dad. We thought that he was going to get this surgery and everything would be hunky-dory and everything would be good and dad would, you know, get to be active as he was at one time, but we don't know that. That's just what we thought. Something else could have happened. Uh, Dad could have had problems in surgery. He could have been in a wheelchair. Any number of things could have gone wrong, or it could have gone good. We don't know. But what we do know is that God is good, that he's always been faithful, that he is trustworthy, and we need to trust him with this. I guarantee you from Dad's perspective today, he already agrees with what God did. anointing, an egg of knowledge cracked on my head. I knew that, but it came home to me in a way that was so true. God knows what is best. And in every situation, we have to choose if we're going to have the life that we want to have, if we're going to see God's goodness here, if we're going to see him here, and if we're going to see him in in the future, see him face to face, we need to make that decision. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward for a minute. Well, I talk to you just for one more minute about something that is so important. If you honestly, truly repent of your sins and you ask Jesus to be your savior, heaven is going to be your home. But there's more to it than that if you want to see God in your life here. If you want to live a secure, safe satisfied, happy life. There's more to it than that. You have to do what I told you this morning. You, if, if you want to have a secure space, if you want to have secure strength that keeps growing and growing and the older you get in the Lord, the better you get. If you want a, a secure supply that will never let you down, that you will know what's good for you and God will give it to you, you've got to be more than just got a ticket to heaven. You've got to have more than that. You have to invest in your relationship with God. And you invest in your relationship with God first and foremost and primarily when you decide for the rest of my life. For the rest of my life, no matter what happens, I'm not going to second guess God. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to second guess God. For the rest of my life, I choose to believe that God is good that God is faithful, that he will always handle life in the best way possible for me, and I will trust him. I am not going to get off track. I'm going to stay determined. I am going to follow him. I am going to walk with him. I'm not going to jump off because I feel like he let me down. I'm going to believe in him no matter what. I will never change. If he answers the prayer the way I want him to, 
or if he does not. There were three guys in the Bible, true story. True story, we call them the three Hebrew children. They were three Jewish boys who were taken captive out of their land. And um, they were taken to the land of Babylon, away from their family and friends and all of that, under the power of a uh, pagan, wicked king. And that king declared that for a period of 30 days that you weren't allowed to pray to or worship or honor anyone but him. 30 days. These boys knew that that was going to be derailing their relationship with God. They knew it was going to take them off the journey. And they were like my friend in Greece. They were determined, nope, 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 every sacrifice that it takes. This is not a casual trip for me. I am on a journey. I'm going to see God in my everyday life, and I'm going to see him face to face one day. That's the way they thought about it. And here's what they did. They didn't make the excuse that probably many of us, maybe most of us, would make. They didn't say, well, it's only for 30 days. We'll just, we'll just keep this thing private. We'll not do it for 30 days, and then we'll get back on track. No. They believed that God was so good, and he was so trustworthy, and he was so faithful that he was worthy of their 100% following and investment every single day of their lives. So this is what they said to the king. Yeah, we know that you said the furnace is going to be seven times hotter than normal. Yeah, we know that you said if we don't bow down, we're going to be thrown in there. Here's what we know. Our God is the most powerful, most amazing God. God can deliver us from your hand no matter how powerful you are. God can deliver us. He can save us from the fire. We know that he can the little glitch is, we don't know if he's going to or not. But that doesn't make our decision for us. We don't need any guarantees. We know that he can, but if he doesn't, if not, we still won't bow down. If not, we will know forever that he still is good. We will not bow down. They saw God. They saw God in the furnace with him. They saw God in the rest of their lives and they met God face to face. That's a choice you and I have to make. You say you don't understand why other people see God when you don't. It's right here. It's right here. You have to decide ahead of time. God is good. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. No matter what he does, I will not bow down. I've made that decision. It makes me know that life is good. I feel the presence of God with me every single day. I have this reminder in my home, this picture that you see. This is hanging on the wall in my dining room. The, uh, the flower below it is the yellow rose from Charlie's funeral that was from me. And above it is my commitment. And if not, he is still good. If not, if God doesn't do anything the way I think he should, I'm going to recognize that he is good, he is faithful, he is trustworthy. He is my God forever and forever. And so I see God single day and there will be a day I see him face to face you can too well that's all for this week thanks again for joining us if you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info have a great week